welcome to the Pre-Raphaelite podcast of the Pre-Raphaelite Society. I'm Sherry, and today we have Dr. Sophie Linford with us, who is going to tell us all about the amazing Delaware Museum of Art and the Pre-Raphaelite collection there. Welcome, Sophie. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Sherry. Thanks for having me. So a little bit about Sophie before we get too far into it. Sophie is the Annette Woolard Provine Curator of the Bancroft Collection of Pre-Raphaelite Art at the Delaware Art Museum. She's a specialist in 19th century British and American art. And before joining the Delaware Art Museum, she was the Rousseau Curatorial Fellow in European Art at the Harvard Art Museums, the Douglas Foundation Fellow in American Art at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and she worked in the curatorial departments of the New York Historical Society and the Yale Center for British Art. Her book, Painting Descent, Art Ethics and the American Pre-Raphaelites was published by Princeton University Press this past fall in 2022. So to get us started, the biggest thing that a lot of people who study Pre-Raphaelites or are familiar with them know is the Delaware Museum of Art has a huge collection of Pre-Raphaelites. How did they end up with such a large collection? So the core works that make up the Pre-Raph collection at the Delaware Art Museum came to us in a bequest made in 1935 by the heirs of Samuel Bancroft Jr., who was a Wilmington textile manufacturer. And so in 1880, when he was 40 years old, Bancroft saw his first Pre-Raphaelite paintings in England and was, as he described himself, shocked with delight. And it was a, it was a decade before he acquired his first Pre-Raphaelite painting, which was Rossetti's Water Willow. It's a portrait of Jane Morris with Kelmscott Manor in the background. And so it was a particularly poignant work for Bancroft to acquire. And from that point on, he added to his holdings quickly. In 1892, he purchased multiple works from the death sale of the famous Pre-Raphaelite patron, Frederick Leyland. And these included Ford Maddox Brown's The Corsair's Return, Rossetti's Found, Rossetti's Lady Lilith, and Elizabeth Siddle's Holy Family. And so the last 35 years of Bancroft's life, he spent acquiring this collection. And by his death in 1915, he'd assembled one of the most significant holdings of 19th century art outside of the United Kingdom. And so 20 years later in 1935, his heirs donated his art and manuscript collection to what was then called the Wilmington Society of Fine Arts. And this gift also included 11 acres of land. And so the museum, Delaware Art Museum uh, now was built on that very site and it's now enlarged and is uh, on the former Bancroft estate to this day. That is amazing. And it's such a long lasting gift to not only Delaware, but the entire United States. Did Bancroft have any direct connections to the artists? He did. He purchased many of his works through one of the leading art dealing firms in England, Thomas Agnew and Sons. And through them, he was introduced to Charles Fairfax Murray, 
who knew well many in the pre-Raphaelite circle. Uh, Murray had uh, the most significant influence on the formation of Bancroft's collection. And there are such wonderful letters that survive in our archives um, that recount Bancroft seeking out Murray's advice and, and frequently his blessing when making purchases. And so 1892 was this critical year for Bancroft. As I mentioned, it was the year he acquired key paintings from the Leyland sale. It was also the year that he tracked down Fanny Cornforth in her old age. And for years, he purchased Rossetti-related objects, letters, photographs, and ephemera directly from her. He also uh, met Edward Byrne Jones in England, hosted uh, Byrne Jones's son, Philip Byrne Jones, as well as Mae Morris, the daughter of William Morris, at his home in Wilmington, Delaware. And he maintained active correspondence with Winifred Sands, the daughter of Frederick Sands, purchased her work as well as her cop copies of her father's work and developed friendships with the Stillman family, purchased directly from Marie Spartali Stillman and her daughter, the sculptor Effie Stillman. So for Bancroft, the pre-Raphaelites and their followers were really direct contemporaries and quite present in the wider popular imagination and during Bancroft's day. That is amazing. It's just so amazing to think, you know, like his interest just bloomed and he got to meet so many of the different people he admired or connections to those people he admired. So I, I met you actually through a course that you guys had through the Delaware Museum of Art on the Pre-Raphaelites this past fall. Tell us a little bit about what you do at a museum. Well, that is uh, really the most fun part of my job is getting to do um, courses and talks and tours uh, that promote and share the pre-Raphaelite collection with folks locally and those who aren't local like you, <laughs> Sherry. Um, I really do have a dream job for a lover of pre-Raphaelite art. My central responsibility is overseeing the museum's permanent collection of pre-Raphaelite art, as well as mounting temporary exhibitions on the pre-Raphaelites and on closely related fields. I consider loan requests from other institutions. I conduct research on works in the collection. I collaborate with colleagues on caring for the collection. This includes um, collaborating with conservators on uh, treatments, conservation treatments for works that need them. And uh, what is especially fun is I keep my eye on the market and purchase works to add to the collection. I do a lot of writing, uh, whether it's wall text, essays, articles, or even grant applications to fund all of the projects we do. And I try to share the collection with as wide an audience as possible, which is how we met. That course that I did in the fall was a series of online lectures and it was very, very exciting. I hope you agree, Sherry, that we had participants tuning in from both sides of the Atlantic. And so we covered mm -hmm. the pre-Raphaelite pre history from the founding of the Brotherhood through the aesthetic and arts and crafts movements. One of the most positive outcomes for me 
of uh, this course, which was a hybrid Zoom and in-person for those folks who were local, uh, is that we were able to bring together a group of people from around the world with this mutual interest in the pre-Raphaelites and which I think is much like the pre-Raphaelite society does on social media and, and now particularly with your podcast. Yeah, it was, it was great because not only were you telling us about the collection that you guys hold, but it was so interesting when we'd get to the discussion area. And like you mentioned, people were from all parts of the world and had different experiences with the pre-Raphaelites and everyone was so open and it was just a really good conversation. And I would, I was doing those during my lunch breaks and I would get, you know, done and I'd be like, ah, I've had my pre-Raphaelite fix for the day. I can continue with my own work and, uh, and move on. But it was so great to see so many people invigorated by the, by the same collection of work. Yeah. And I felt the same way. And, and I, should have mentioned I've only been in this position now for about eight months. So for me, I was <laughs> teaching this course in my second, third month being on the job. And even though I've worked on the pre-Raphaelites for many years, this was a new collection for me. And so having the opportunity to revisit a very familiar history, the story of the pre-Raphaelites, but to do it through the prism of Delaware's collection really gave me personally the time and space to deeply know <laughs> well, the collection that I now own. I was about to say, <laughs> you got a, a rush deep dive into your own collection. I so. did. And, and so it was such a wonderful experience to get to every week talk about these wonderful works of art with uh, many kindred spirits. And I look forward to seeing what what online lectures you guys have coming up. Um, being I'm in Houston, it's not a short jaunt over to Delaware, but you know, it, it's in my plans here. Talking about just the different activities you have going on. The pre-Raphaelites are having a huge year at Delaware Art. What shows have you had recently and what do you have coming up? Our big show this fall, which closed uh, in mid-February, was a Marriage of Arts and Crafts, Evelyn and William de Morgan. And so as many listeners will likely know, the de Morgans were a husband and wife artist couple working in late 19th and early 20th century England. Each produced stunning works in their respective media. Evelyn created intricately detailed paintings and William made shimmering ceramics. The two artists encouraged one another's creative pursuits and the exhibition examined how their union redefined Victorian marriage as a working partnership. So the show at the Delaware Art Museum was in itself a partnership with the De Morgan Foundation in the UK. And it was the first time William and Evelyn's work was displayed in a large retrospective exhibition side by side. And so to complement the De Morgan exhibition, I also put together a smaller companion show 
forgotten pre-raphaelites, which was drawn primarily from the museum's permanent collection of works on paper. One of the central goals of a marriage of arts and crafts was to foreground the work of two artists who had been understudied in the robust literature on the pre-Raphaelite aesthetic and arts and crafts movements. And so what I did in Forgotten Pre-Raphaelites was to bring together over 40 works in our permanent collection by similarly overlooked artists affiliated with the Pre-Raphaelite circle. And what I was particularly excited about was that over half of the works that I had on view were works by women artists, such as Barbara Bodichon, Maurice Bartali Stillman, Winifred Sands, and Constance Fillet. And so by featuring these uh, lesser known audiences, maybe to our wider, wider visitorship, but not, not lesser known, I know, to the listeners of this podcast, uh, we did seek to recover them from you know, the, the margins of art history and position them at the center of the pre-Raphaelite narrative. And so these two exhibitions were the first uh, shows in what we're calling the year of pre-Raphaelites, uh, which is a very exciting year of programming that we are in the midst of. Both exhibits sound amazing. And I love that so many people are really focusing on bringing women artists, especially from past history, 19th century and further back into the limelight and giving them the credit that they finally deserve, but also introducing them to an audience who's never even necessarily heard of them because they were overlooked for so long. Since that's only part of your year, what do you have coming up? Yes. So I did just drop rather tantalizingly this year of pre-Raphaelites. So we're having this year of pre-Raphaelites. How did it come into being? We had the De Morgan exhibition on the calendar here for several years. My predecessor, Margareta Frederick, started planning this exhibition with the De Morgan Foundation and the wonderful Sarah Hardy six years ago. And so that has long been on the docket. But then about two years ago, we started conversations with Tate Britain about partnering on the upcoming Rossetti's exhibition, which will come to Delaware Art Museum next October after its run at Tate Britain. And it's it's quite rare to have two major pre-Raphaelite loan exhibitions in consecutive years. Because as as much as uh, I like to think that the Delaware Art Museum is all about the pre-Raphaelites, we do have many other wonderful collections uh, that get featured in special exhibitions frequently. So we decided to take advantage of this timing, these two two years of major special exhibitions, and plan a year's worth of events around the pre-Raphaelites with special talks, tours, and lectures focusing both on our permanent collection and in and on the two major loan exhibitions. So perhaps now is a good time to flag to all the podcast listeners to save the date for what I am most excited about for this year of pre-Raphaelites, the weekend of November 
10th to 12th uh, this coming fall. And I came up with this idea for this pre-Raphaelite extravaganza weekend in Delaware because I'm always hearing from folks who love the pre-Raphaelites, who have always wanted to visit the Delaware Art Museum and see the pre-Raphaelite collection. And so for all of you who have emailed me or messaged me on social media about hoping to find a time to do it, your time is here. Uh, next November, we'll have the Rossetti show up and uh, we'll host this big bash with tons of programming and behind the scenes experiences. We'll have talks and tours in our permanent galleries in the Rossetti's show. I'm thinking fun activities like pre-Raphaelite trivia. And on the evening of November 11th, we're hosting what we're calling a pre-Raphaelite prom, which will be a pre-Raphaelite themed party with cocktails, music, and more. And this is going to be our capstone event of the year of pre-Raphaelites. So stay tuned on our website and social media and, and more to come from the pre-Raphaelite society about this weekend and how you can get registered. But what I'm most excited about is that I'm envisioning an event that will bring together so many pre-Raphaelite lovers that have been connecting virtually over the past few years, particularly the past three years as uh, so much programming has moved online. And so this, it really feels like a once in a lifetime event <laughs> in Delaware where so many pre-Raphaelite paintings will be on view simultaneously. So you must come visit and spend time with us. Well, I was already planning on coming for the Rossettis, but you've definitely narrowed down my travel dates. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like such an exciting event. And like you mentioned, so many of us have met virtually over especially the last few years because of all the programming going online, which is a, an amazing benefit to all of us because within the society just within the pre-raphaelite society so many it's an international society and there's so many times that like-minded people cannot collect because you know travel or or time and all that and with the online the online options available it's allowed all of us to really get to know each other and, and find this common ground and know it's not just people in the UK or people in this part of the world and, and we're all over the place. And, and I think it's really given a lot of extra oomph to like researchers and bringing researchers together to talk about common topics. And this will be an exciting event. We will definitely be reminding uh, you listeners about this and in our social media and in our newsletters and stuff from the society. So keep, keep your eyes peeled for that. So with you sharing the Rossetti's exhibit with the Tate Britain, how's your part of the exhibit going to differ from what's at the Tate? Yeah, that's such a great question. And, uh, something that I'm working on every day <laughs> now as, the, we get closer to the opening of the exhibition at Tate in early April, and then six months later when it comes to Delaware. What I can say is that visitors to both 
exhibitions are in for such a treat. As will be well known to listeners of the podcast, Dante Gabriel Rossetti has long been celebrated as one of the founders of the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood. And what the exhibition does is revisits and revises the mythology around an artist that has been remembered as simultaneously brooding, idiosyncratic, and visionary. And so the show places Dante Gabriel's output within the larger context of the politics of his radical family. And it shines a light on the ways the Rossettis blended their passion for social justice with their commitment to reform outdated academic traditions. So the show will bring together paintings, drawings, and watercolors by Dante Gabriel alongside the art and poetry of his wife, Elizabeth Siddle, and that of his siblings, Christina, Mariah, and William Michael Rossetti. So the display is truly intermedial in scope and brings together public works from public and private collections worldwide. So the thrust of the narrative at both exhibitions will be the same. There are about 90 to 100 core works that will be on view at both venues, but there will, will be works that are just on view at Tate and just on view at Delaware that just have to do with some works are light sensitive and can't be on view for longer than a few months of, of time. So to have them out for a full, nearly a full year would be too long. There are some works that are too, too fragile to travel across the Atlantic. So what I really hope is that diehard fans of the Pre-Raphaelites will plan to see both shows if you can swing it. Uh, so the show opens on April 6th in London and runs through September 24th. And it opens October 21st in Delaware and runs through late January next year. It sounds like an amazing show. And it's so, I'm looking forward to being able to see Elizabeth Siddle's work, but also the work of his siblings. I've seen works in person of Dante Gabriel over the years, but it's so rare you see like the works of Christina um, or William Michael or Mariah out in the public view. And like you mentioned, so much of the stuff is delicate, works on paper. So when they are on view, it's such a short period. <laughs> so it's easy to miss. So it'll be really exciting to see what that brings for everyone. Just shifting focus a little bit. Your recent research focuses on the American pre-Raphaelites. Who are they and how do they fit into the pre-Raphaelite story? I always relish the opportunity to talk about the American pre-Raphaelites and to announce far and wide that they did exist. <laughs> they were a group of politically radical abolitionist artists, architects, critics, and scientists. And they were united by their interest in the writings of John Ruskin and the technical and compositional priorities of the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood. They banded together during the American Civil War. So we're talking early 1860s, and they eventually assembled nearly 30 members. The group's painters included such artists as John Henry Hill, John William Hill, Charles Herbert Moore, 
William Trost Richards and Henry Roderick Newman. They're not names that are household names. Their leader, though, was Thomas Charles Farrer, who was a British-born artist who had studied with Ruskin and Rossetti at the Working Men's College in London. And so in 1858, he immigrated to the United States and brought these teachings with him, which galvanized a small group of artists already working in a Ruskinian manner in America. So one of the main differences between the American and British pre-Raphaelites was their chosen subjects. Like their British counterparts, the American pre-Raphaelites painted often painstakingly from direct observation. But the American pre-Raphaelites embraced the realist rather than the revivalist elements of the pre-Raphaelite project. So we don't have narrative, religious, or literary scenes in American pre-Raphaelite works. Instead, we have, we see painting techniques borrowed from the British pre-Raphaelites that were used to upend traditions of landscape painting in the United States. Did any of the American pre-Raphaelites actually meet with the British pre-Raphaelites? That's a great question. (laughs) They, so many of them carried on correspondence with John Ruskin. And when they went to London, they sought out Ruskin and got his feedback on their works. In terms of this core group of pre-Raphaelite artists, when they're in American pre-Raphaelite artists, when they're working in the 1860s, they are not having direct communication. You know, this is 15 years after the formation of the British Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood. And so those artists are not, many of them are not working in that original Pre-Raphaelite style anymore. And they're certainly not working as a cohort. However, there are artists that over the years develop friendships and relationships with some of these figures. Thomas Charles Farrer, becomes friends with the Stillmans, William James Stillman and Maurice Bartali Stillman. William James Stillman himself was the first American artist to paint in a pre-Raphaelite style. And he did have direct friendships with with Rossetti, uh, with Ruskin. And then there is this historian of, of, Art, art uh, prof- the first professor of art history in the United States is Charles Eliot Norton, who works at Harvard, and he serves as the key interlocutor between the British pre-Raphaelites and the American pre-Raphaelites. And in fact, shortly after the American pre-Raphaelites found their movement in 1863, he writes to Rossetti that there are, you know, wonderful young men doing such important work like that of the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood in the United States. So there's definitely this fertile cross-pollination and awareness of the respective movements. That is amazing. And I love that Ruskin, he, he had such a far reach with his writing and that he influenced the Americans one way. And, you know, they, they stayed to that truth to nature. And then 
the British, you know, they started with that truth in nature and then it just emerged into something else, but that they have that core figure starting point for each group. So you have um, a book that released in the fall, Painting Descent, Art Ethics and the American Pre-Raphaelites, published through Princeton University Press. Tell us uh, what your book's about. Give us a little blurb. (laughs) Yeah, the elevator pitch. Well, so the book addresses a lot of what I just described previously about the American Pre-Raphaelites and their relationship to their British counterparts. It tells the story of this group of little known artists and more than artists, this group, this interdisciplinary group. It, it was artists, as I said, artists, architects, scientists, critics. They were all shared this commitment to the principles that had been put forth by the British pre-Rafts and by Ruskin. The book itself is organized around key figures whose careers emblematize both pre-Raphaelite aesthetics and the reformist aspirations that gave the movement on both sides of the Atlantic its intensity and momentum. And so the book considers the contributions of the American pre-Raphaelites across their disciplines painting, architecture, art criticism, and science. And I feature members whose Civil War period output, so we really are, I'm focused primarily in the 1860s, uh, whose output was an active dialogue with contemporary British art and criticism. That sounds amazing. It is on my to-be-read pile. It's a hard one to get through. I have multiple piles all over the place, but it's definitely on there. Honestly, I don't know as much as I should know about the American Pre-Raphaelites, and it's one of those I want to dive deeper into. For our listeners, please, if this sounds interesting, learn more about the American Pre-Raphaelites and and take that back and relate it to how we already know of the British Pre-Raphaelites. I'm sure this is going to create more discussion between our members. My favorite closing question is, what is your all-time favorite pre-Raphaelite painting? Well, so I can (laughs) admit to all the listeners that Sherry did give me a heads up about this question. So (laughs) I have been thinking about it for the past couple of days And I have concluded that this is like asking someone to choose between their children. But the more Mm -hmm. I, the more and more I thought about it, I kept coming back to one work, William Holman Hunt's Our English Coasts, which is in the Tate's collection. And you might also know this painting by the title Strayed Sheep. I am a technical art history lover. I'm always eager to know how paintings were made. And our English coasts really rewards close looking. When, if you get the chance to see this painting in person at Tate Britain, you can see that where paint layers are thinly applied, Hunt's graphite underdrawings are visible. And the painting also features the Pre-Raph's trademark white priming, which is what makes the transparent glazes so luminous and vibrant. And 
one of my favorite books on my bookshelf, uh, a, a Bible, if you will, is <laughs> Joyce Townsend's Pre-Raphaelite Painting Techniques. And I learned in that book that our English coasts is actually quite complexly primed. It has multiple layers of lead and zinc white priming. And it, it is this white priming that actually produces the highly reflective surface on which Hunt applied his colors. And so I just love that how this painting really exemplifies the wet white ground painting techniques that the Pre-Raphaelites sometimes used and the style, the technique of painting that makes Pre-Raphaelite art look so different from that of their predecessors and their contemporaries. Um, and then I guess on uh, a more, uh, or a, a less scholarly note, who really, who doesn't love sunbathing sheep? So that's another reason <laughs> <painting> so much. <laughs> you're, you're doing better than me. I feel like my favorite shifts with the wind sometimes and but there are certain paintings I do come back to time and again that I'm just like I'm still fascinated with you and I can't necessarily explain why but it always draws me in but Hunt just had a whole different way of luminescence that comes from the colors and his works are so much different from a photograph to what they look like in person uh, <laughs> it's yeah, a whole, they, they radiate and, but, it is and they just draw you in. It's like sunlight coming at you from them. And so I, I definitely understand <laughs> the fascination with, um, one of his works. I just want to thank you so much for sitting down with me today. I know it took us a bit to get this, you know, going, but we're so glad to have you and learn more about not only your writing, but also what Dell Art's doing this year. And we look forward to hearing more about the upcoming events. And we will pass that on to our listeners. Listeners, please, if you like our podcast, make sure you rate us or like us on your favorite podcast listening platform. If you don't have a podcast listening platform, you can always find the podcast episodes on our website. So please keep a uh, track and we will keep you updated with what's going on at Dell art this year. Thank you for listening. So we have an amazing update. It's been a while since Sophie and I last sat down to record our episode. And since then we have a lot of new information about the pre-Raphaelite weekend coming up at Dell art. Sophie, do you want to give us an update? Sure. Thanks Sherry for having me back. So the last time we spoke, we were just starting to develop plans for what we're calling the Pre-Raphaelite Weekend, and all we had were the dates, November 9th to 12th of this year. And since then, we are delighted to announce that the Delaware Art Museum is co-hosting the Pre-Raphaelite Weekend with the Pre-Raphaelite Society. So I hope that you and all your friends and all the other listeners to this podcast will join us in Wilmington, Delaware at the Delaware Art Museum from Thursday, November 9th to Sunday, November 12th. So what if you come, what will you experience? 
we're going to be kicking off the events on the evening of Thursday, November 9th, with a pre-Raphaelite musical soiree, which is a combination lecture performance by Professor Tim Barringer of Yale University with the musicians Lucy Fitzgibbon and Ryan McCullough. The evening includes Tim giving a talk on pre-Raphaelites in music, one of his areas of expertise, and his talk is interspersed with Lucy singing and Ryan accompanying on piano performing pre-Raphaelite era music. And then over the subsequent days, particularly on the 10th and 11th, we'll have a series of tours of the pre-Raphaelite permanent collection at Delaware and the Rossetti's exhibition. We'll also have a couple of behind the scenes experiences uh, with me and some works that are not on view permanently at the museum that are in our storage facility. We are going to have a pre-Raphaelite hair drawing workshop and uh, writing poetry in the style of Christina Rossetti workshop. These will all be in the galleries. Our cafe is also planning a high tea for Friday afternoon and Saturday evening will be what we're calling the pre-Raphaelite prom or if you're fancy, the pre-Raphaelite promenade and it will be complete with pre-Raphaelite themed cocktails and other fun elements. And I should just say that I'm so excited that several of the folks who run the Pre-Raphaelite podcast and the Pre-Raphaelite Society's uh, social media will be joining us, including you, Sherry. Uh, also, your colleagues, Hannah Squire, Alex Round, and Tim McGee. And we're also planning to incorporate taping a podcast episode in front of a live audience in Delaware. So... For folks who aren't able to join the weekend in person, when that podcast episode airs, you'll be able to get a taste of what it was like. So important details, tickets for the weekend will go on sale to Pre-Raphaelite Society members on September 18th. So if you're not a member of the Pre-Raphaelite Society and you want to buy a ticket early, you should register. And they'll go on sale to the general public on September 19th. There's a link to sign up for ticket updates on the Rossetti's exhibition page on the Delaware Art Museum website. And if folks sign up there, they'll be notified as soon as tickets are on sale. I'm hoping that lots of people who participate in the robust pre-Raphaelite community online by listening to this podcast, by interacting with the Pre-Raphaelite Society social media may want to come not only to see the Delaware's collection and the Rossetti's show, but just to actually gather together because we forged so many relationships in the virtual space, particularly during COVID. It'd be so nice to actually meet everyone in person. Sophie, this is such exciting news. And I know for myself, I'm super excited to be there. And as you mentioned, finally get to meet in person so many of the people I've built relationships with over um, the last few years and get to share our love of the pre-Raphaelite work. So everyone, as Sophie mentioned, if you're not already a member of the Pre-Raphaelite Society, this is a great opportunity and time to join and get early bird tickets. For those who aren't, you've still got your chance. I think this is going to be a really popular event for Del Art. 
So I would get your tickets early and we will see you there in November. Thanks, Sherry. Mm -hmm.